Wouldn't it be great if three idiots picked apart each episode of your favorite podcast? We do that. Wouldn't it be great if we discussed the newest episode, ongoing theories, and predictions for what comes next? We do that. Wouldn't it be great if they didn't ruin the podcast at all and kept everything spoiler-free? We don't do that. You've been warned. Welcome to We Do That, a Taz fancast. I'm your co-host, Chris. And I'm your co-host, Jake. I, I have the same amount of excitement to talk about this that I do every episode. I don't know why Chris was so sedate right there. Right. Uh, and I'm your other co-host, Colin. This week's episode, just portmanteaus for 40 minutes. Uh, more like finit. Am I right? Bye, everybody. No, 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 no. Fuck that. We're back on our Amnesty grind. Yeah. Woo-hoo. It's been a month since Amnesty. And guys, I felt like the boys knew of our frustration because they delivered a 90-minute episode. Which And yet it still went nowhere. Right. Back to that in a minute. Right. So the synopsis for this week's episode um, is the party splits up. Uh, Duck starts the scene with some goat men. He captures one, takes it back home with him, tends to its – well, not home, the lodge. Uh, tends to its wounds um, and has a new captive friend. Uh, Aubrey goes back over to Sylvain, uh, to finally learn some magic on her own, uh, and touches a rock, and Ned gets picked up by the cops. And that's pretty much it. All right, y'all, I just want to get, I want to get this leading part off my chest, because I think there are little bits in here that I, uh, I enjoyed, and I want to talk about it, but just really, really bothers me that we had a 90-minute episode, and we didn't really advance the main plot of this arc at all. But I feel like we got so much depth of our characters. I don't think I care about that. I think you should. Well, so I've been, um, as we are wont to do, I've been re-listening to Balance, and I've been sort of thinking about all the comparisons we keep making. And one of the things that I've noticed is there is not the focus on intentional world building and character development that they do in amnesty in balance in balance those characters very much come to light through their actions and through the role play not with griffin going now i want to learn about your character for 20 minutes wrong and i'm colin what sound effect does a finger wag make i don't know but that is wrong it happens in uh the 11th hour arc when they're all tempted by the chalice yeah but that's four arcs in we're not there yet in amnesty but then you said it never happens in balance is the contention the length of time it took to get to this point or the fact that they have this at all. Cause I actually remember being disappointed by that episode in balance because I was like, damn, I just want something to happen. So I share that frustration because so much of it I, is just on character development. So much is focused on character development, but it is true to how they've played this game or done role playing in the past. 
fair point. I take back that portion of my criticism. I do, though, strongly feel that if we had just advanced the story, we'll get all of these bits out of it. So, I I don't see how your I, I don't see how you could have it both ways. You know, uh, I'm really struggling here. Sorry. I, I, to me, framing it that way, Chris, makes it seem, you know, if if stuff is going to happen, then that becomes the focus, as we see in balance. Or if character is going to be the focus, it needs to be the focus. But, you know, I think that with... I don't think that they have come to the storytelling place to weave those two together in a way that works as a you know, piece of media to be consumed. I think that right now, giving us this dedicated time to be like, okay, here's here's some character work, you know, and especially after our last Amnesty episode that was, you know, let's go from minute one, even though it was a six-minute episode chronologically. Still think that's pretty weird. Um, it's like one of our episodes. True that. Um... I actually really appreciated this chance to come back from that to process a little bit and to let our characters grow. What's interesting. I, I found it very, so accepting my arguments there, which I'll, I'll try to codify more as I think about it. I was, I was kind of um, shaken by losing that momentum. I mean, obviously the break cost us momentum when we talked about that in our last episode, but I think I would have liked to keep going They're in the middle of a hunt. It doesn't seem an appropriate place for, this is basically lunar interlude kind of larger interlude kind of stuff. Yeah, and that's that's what I was going to say is uh, especially when they did this in balance, and they I think they did it for the first time during um, the eleventh hour arc. But uh, they would usually save this kind of stuff for those interludes where you don't really expect anything to happen anyway, um, and so you spend the first half on character development or something, and spend the second half on leveling up. And so uh, I think ducks. What Duck was doing sort of advanced this story, but I think Agreed. Aubrey yes. stuff and Ned stuff could have definitely happened in an interlude, and I think we'd be in a better spot for it. Well, but see, I also feel like the cogs are all a little more integrated this time. So the fact that we've seen that we've seen uh, what was your new name for him, Chris Barley. Barley Mando. No, it was better than it that. It was much Boyd better. Boyd Mosh is his name. It is pretty it's good. Barley. Barley something. It's not important. Um, we, we, we'd gotten we'd gotten that glimpse that something was going to happen there. And through sort of the the growth and exploration that we've seen over Ned of the past couple episodes, it makes sense to go back to that to be like, okay, this is going to be related somehow. And... You know, I think Aubrey's piece works very much the same way. Here are all these pieces that, you know, all of these events are happening at the same time, maybe related. And that happening, they need to all move forward at once. I guess my my concern is somewhat that um, Ned's flashback didn't need to happen in that moment but could have been triggered by an actual encounter with Boyd, who we, we know is out in the world. We know has identified that Ned exists, and we have that sort of cliffhanger from, I don't know, 10 episodes ago. Um, 
what would have been different for me and the way to experience it would have been if Ned leaves the police station, comes back to the Cryptonomica, and Boyd is sitting in his chair and says, Hi, Ned. You left me behind at that car crash. And then it could more organically come to this story rather than – I think I also have – take exception with Griffin setting up the circumstances by which Ned and his partner met. That seems like it should be a Ned decision, but we'll accept that for now. Um, that the letting Ned role play out that scene with Boyd seems like it should have happened based on some sort of trigger rather than, well, if Duck's going to – fix a goat and Aubrey's going to go explore magic. Ned needs a scene. And all we have for Ned is his past. I honestly think that's a fair criticism. Um, And I I really think, I mean, it felt similar. I felt similarly about Aubrey's uh, uh, discussions or happenings with uh, in Sylvain, especially when it was revealed that she's already been over there several times, and this yeah. this is just the yeah. most recent. So, well, why didn't we see any of those? Why were those never mentioned? How is especially you think the first one back would have been so telling of her character and of that place, like that first time stepping into the lessons, and then being able to watch the frustration grow up to this moment where she says no. Yeah. Well, and I get, uh, you know, I like that Griffin kind of gives Travis the opportunity. He says, have you been back here? But why wasn't the question, however many episodes ago, why wasn't the question, when do you go back? Yeah. And, you know, instead of being, instead of asking these questions retrospectively, have you done this? Why not, especially if it happened during the 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 weeks that this story takes place, these have happened, and I don't know why it isn't allowed to be built prospectively. <laughs> at the risk of agreeing with Colin. Um, we all have to do it sometimes. Yeah, we have to do it sometimes. Um, I, I think that's a fair point. Um, and what, what it really came through for me was in her uh, Aubrey's interactions with Janelle. Because everything we know about her so far, it doesn't really seem like this this outburst of empathy and caring fits. But if Aubrey had been there several times and they were building a relationship, then I could see that coming a little more naturally. Rather than just Ice Queen to Cool or Mom. even making a more dramatic break from that icier character that if, if she's going to be playing the very straight laced instructor that makes the break into empathetic, caring mentor that much more emotional Mm -hmm. that, okay, we've reached a real big breaking moment. This is when Aubrey's really going to get some traction and learn these things. And, And I think, you know, with that, the opportunity was taken away for the listener to have that experience. Yeah, I think, especially because anytime Griffin has to reiterate a, uh, like, a character um, aspect, a character trait, of, she has never been this patient. She has never been this warm. She's, it tells you that, I think it shows, rather, that he hasn't, they haven't done an adequate job showing that, um, if they right. have to tell us that uh, explicitly. Um, I want to dive, uh, I think... Th- 
these are my overarching concerns. I want to talk a little bit about some of the specific things that happen, and I'm, I'm sure you guys have moments as well. Um, can we start with um, Minerva and confirmation that she's from another planet? Yeah, I thought that was neat. I mean, I'm bummed that it shoots a lot of my personal theories in the foot, but I think the scope of this world that we're now coming into is pretty cool. Yeah. And I love the idea that they're building a pattern. Um, though we end up dangerously close to like the hunger. Yeah. Um, but I love the idea that they're building a pattern that there are these rifts forming in other planets, other planes. If this all comes back to balance, I'm going to lose my goddamn mind. Um, but I really like what Griffin seems to be setting up here and what duck is kind of, playing into a little i don't i honestly don't know how i feel about it i mean it seems a little i don't know if uh uh typical is a word but it seems kind of like uh formulaic or or something to that degree where you know you've got the like a seasoned veteran coming down to train the new champion who can save the world and uh like are any two worlds that are linked inextricably doomed like what's the i don't know i just feels i almost wish that whatever was going on between sylvain and earth were unique with the way they've introduced or the things that he's revealed about minerva it says that it's not unique so I understand that as a fiction, certainly, but I do think in the spirit of the game, it is perfectly on point. These re- there's a reason that the characters' roles are called archetypes. Like, they are not trying to reinvent the wheel of narrative. They are playing out the role of the chosen who saves the world from a fate that's befallen others. They're playing out these very established um, archetypes. Is the right word? It's what they are. It's it's things that have existed in fiction, fiction, mm-hmm. and will continue to exist in fiction. And I think, while I certainly understand your frustration, Colin, I think they're playing right into the heart of the game and what the game wants to be. And I I appreciate that much of it. Yeah, no, and I mean, I think I think yes, the the wizened leader coming down. I mean, that's that's part of every hero's journey, you know. I think it's just a, 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 a natural part of storytelling. It's how we learn as humans. Like we learn from people who know more than us. Like it's, it is an experience. And then I think it makes it really compelling to see where duck has gotten when he loses that connection, because that's the other part of the hero's journey is, is losing your mentor. Yeah. What do we think is fated for Minerva then? Oh, her planet's toast. Well, her did Charity like, say it was gone? Well, no, 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 no. But what I'm saying is like it's gonna be Dunzo maybe while they're on a call. Like I thought or, it already was. That was my impression too. I was theorizing that she's on a spaceship. Oh, no, see, I was thinking she was still on her place. It was uh, just you sort know, of captain of the Titanic. Not good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. As it falls. Yeah. I honestly don't know what's next for Minerva. And I dislike this portion of the story so much more now. 
with the revelation that she's from another planet that got destroyed because of a link to another planet. Like, I I don't know. I just don't. I don't really care about Minerva. I liked it better when I thought she might be some mysterious dark force that's going to betray Duck. Yeah, that would be more intriguing. And uh, she still might be, but. Right, this could all be a ruse. Yeah. It could be. Uh, so, uh, speaking of Duck and of Minerva, let's talk about Duck's interaction with the Goatmen and how that played out. Um, I just thought, and, and sort of that interaction with Minerva uh, uh, as part of that uh, goat scene, I thought it was a, a great bit of role-playing by Justin uh, here we go. We're going to the Justin McAvoy <laughs> Appreciation Zone. That's right. Yeah. I'm going to take us right there because I think uh, he does he such a good job of, look, I'm not going to hurt this thing. I don't know anything about it. You can't just say it's a foe and tell me to kill it and expect me to do it. I thought it was so interesting to hearing his him sort of outline his inner narrative of Justin McElroy knows that in playing this game. Yeah, it's supposed friends, to be a bad guy. Yeah. But Duck being duck does not so what actions does justin have duck take is is such a um it's an interesting thing to be thinking about of these conversations they have to be having in their head of what does the player character know versus what the character yeah you know what the player knows um yeah and i i like that they um you know they had these same issues early on in balance um and i like that they let us into like that inner monologue that they're having as uh players of like, yeah, I know that I should get stabbed him through the heart, but maybe I, my character doesn't know that. Maybe I shouldn't. Yeah, I think it helps to keep sort of the heart of this as a, as much as it's drifted, a real play podcast versus just a sort of a group narrative thing that they are still playing a game and like, well, what do I do? Here's the decisions that face me, not just I'm in character 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, so I thought, uh, it was a good bit of role playing. I did think it was funny too, for Justin to start pulling out all that Sawbones information. Yeah. Yeah, Like a little bit of subtle product placement, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. I think they said the book comes out, what, uh, Tuesday, October 9th. So that date has already passed. That is tomorrow. Uh, Yeah. That's tomorrow. By the time this publishes, that date will have passed. Thanks for playing along, guys. We are not on a real play podcast. (laughs) Just kind of here at 8.30 p.m. Just so everybody sort of knows what's happening. Some of our meta discussion. Uh, Um, Griffin learned how to make a hard move. I liked that. Yeah. Which what was his hard move again? He stabbed Duck. Is that really? I mean, Duck's got like armor, so it. I think it definitely classifies as a hard move. Three harm is a lot. They did then proceed to ignore it for the rest of the episode, and Duck never took medical attention for himself. Well, and it does then take the option of continuing some sort of negotiation with the goat folk off the table. Like right. now they gone. have, they are gone. They have aggressed. Like that relationship is completely changed now. 
Well, I mean, any hope of saving it is over. I agree that it's changed, but I don't think like any chance of negotiation is gone. He now has a captive who he might be, uh, I don't know if captive is the right word, but it seems like it is, a captive whom he might be able to use as sort of like a a through party, you know, somebody to to work through and to to talk through. I is, you know, to Chris's point earlier, uh, like that, that I think could have been a story development either way. Um, like the, the result of the hard move was he took one harm that had no effect and then Barclay showed up and they scattered. Like, I don't know that I think Barclay may have shown up no matter what. And so was there any effect of the hard move at all? Is it a hard move if it doesn't really have consequences? No, is I think my short answer. But um, it's, it's like my longer a, answer is that like that action is a hard move. The fact that they didn't play it out is a uh, I'm gonna let it be a separate topic. But I think Griffin deciding hard move, he attacks you is good, decisive. Yes. But did he have him attack him, or he said like he stumbled and pushed the shears forward? Because it went through the goat man first. If he was attacking Doc, I don't think he would have gone for goat man. I think that the way I was listening to it was that he purposely attacked his compatriot to get to duck. Yes. I, I am uncertain. I'm just saying, I think it was a very soft, hard move, a sard move, if you will. Um, let's, while we're here, that man knows. No, in that, in that, in that, I know what you want. And I port Mantono corner. The what? The what? The, the porter? The por- the oh, are we in the porter? Are we in the porter? I can edit this out. You guys have no power here. I'm. Uh, this <laughs> that, will not see the light of day. I'm dropping is, a marker. That is so true. We there are, it is. We are powerless. That marker will mean nothing to me when I edit this. But away <laughs> we go. Um, the goat being knows Duck's name. Okay, I wonder if that's just an autocorrect, and he actually meant to say fuck. But like the magic, the magic keyboard did it wrong. Yeah, <laughs> I know that's not what it is, but that is just awesome. If that's how that plays, <laughs> yeah. out. that's br- that is brilliant. I know it's not how it is, but that was all I could think of. It was like so. That's so what? That is a brilliant bit, Jake. That would be so good. <laughs> that would be uh, one thing that bothered me with this scene is Aubrey cast the spell, takes the glitch that it's not as effective. And she gets fucking nothing out of it. Like, she doesn't understand shit. Like, he doesn't... She never understands anything except for the duck, which I think everybody understands. It felt like one of those things that, like, Griff was like, oh, that's so cool that you have this. Uh, You chose a glitch that it's not going to be quite as effective, so I'm going to make it zero effective. See... There's this thing that people do in storytelling where they choose where they're going to end the storytelling so that there's dramatic uh, implications for what comes next. It's called dramatic irony, Jake. You were right there. I don't think that's what dramatic irony is. No, no, it's not dramatic irony. But all I'm saying is, of course. Dropping another uh, marker. Of course. smarter. (laughs) (laughs) Just take that part out. My sister's going to yell at me if she hears it. Of course. This is really what Chris does when editing. We're we're not going to see the results of that 
I mean, you knew that the moment they go into this, I'm going to cast a spell when there's four minutes of the podcast left. You know we aren't going to hear anything meaningful out of it. So it's it, it's it's all about what's coming next. And no, that... She, she, he casts the spell, or Aubrey casts the spell. She casts the spell. There are immediately two bleats, which have, she can make neither heads nor tails of. Which, I mean, it doesn't make sense to me that, uh, I don't know. It seems like one of those things that you just kind of gloss over. Unless, and this is a potential, maybe only Aubrey could understand the duck. That's what I am hoping for. Because that well, would make the most sense that, and then Aubrey has to explain that out to the rest of the room, which yeah. I think would be a fun scene with the three of them. Well, and Two also, them. are they all there? They're all no, there. like, I mean, I think that, yeah. so two bleats came out. We know the spell didn't work as well. It was supposed to, this thing is, is trying to learn or, or is now communicating in a way that it didn't think it was before. So it's going to sound a little strange. I really don't see what your problems with this section are. I mean, there's clearly part of Aubrey's character arc, especially in this episode is trying to learn how to channel different magic or different magics or whatever. Channel her magic in a different way. She is in this position and she tries it. Mm -hmm. And she rolls well enough to get it to work and chooses a glitch that it doesn't work as well as it should, but it should still work. Mm -hmm. And from as far as we can tell at this moment, the DM just ignored it. I see... Because we haven't, they have said two words to each other, Colin. I there is, well, if, I there, there, there I, is, I said as it is far all as we can tell. Yes, I put and that so, in there. I yes. put that caveat in there. <laughs> and so it doesn't matter this episode. It only matters next time. Dear listener, I wish you could see both Jake and Colin <laughs> with both of their arms outstretched at each other, just imploring one of them to I, get it. I included the caveat. <laughs> He said as he went to his grave. It's on his tombstone. <laughs> um, for the sake of time, let's table the goat on the table. Ooh, and nice. I'll put a marker. No, put a marker there. No, no I like that's it. That's not how this works. Goat on the okay. table. But the game No, no, no. There is one more important thing that we haven't touched on in this section. And it's Barclay's revelation that these things aren't from Sylvain. That wasn't really in this section. That was like a while ago, but sure. Yeah. Well, because yeah. you didn't give me a chance to talk about it then. All right, we'll talk about so it. So now I'm the bad guy. All right, bring it on, Jake. I just think it's interesting that they're not from Sylvain. Now we can move on. <laughs> no, I think, but I... <laughs> you're absolutely right, though. That struck me, too, as I wonder if Griffin almost overplayed his hand because um, he quickly corrected Barkley, saying, like, I don't know what they are, but he very very confidently said they are not sylvan yeah yeah but the the bomb bombs aren't sylvan are they like none of the abominations are from sylv sylvain like the water monster wasn't a sylph well and so i think i think that was the the interesting thing there is because because we have seen goat men like this over in sylvain that clarifying that well maybe this is different are these the abomination? We don't know. Are they? I also think, as they've been presented, they are far more sentient than either of the previous abominations have been. Yeah, I'd agree. I I would disagree. Yeah, I that think, tracks. 
I I don't see how we can determine the sentience, that's what I'm looking for, of either of the former two bomb bombs. Like, just because it's a water inhabiting elemental doesn't mean it's not sentient. We don't know that. I th- but I think there's levels. I think the fact that the goat man that they capture is somewhat compliant, like is not immediately attacking them at the table. Like there's such well, unbridled aggression in all the previous bomb bombs that this is clearly a different level of creature. But if, intelligence. if they had captured the water monster in like a coffee cup, who knows how he would have acted. I am postulating that it would have been aggressive. Uh, I'm just saying, I don't think we have enough information to know. All right. Uh, should we talk then about, uh, is there anything really to talk about with Ned? I don't, I don't really think so. Except um, that it he- wasn't particularly of consequence, but I did really enjoy, um, the way Clint played out the scene at the station with like Ned's version of opening up to the sheriff and sort of letting him in. I think it's the, yeah. And so what, what, what I will be really interested to hear is. Ned's internal processing of being shut down like that. Like he was open and fairly honest and was like willing to like build this bridge with Zeke. And, and as I to have probably more so than he's ever been in quite a long time. Yeah. Right. And so to have that connection start and then get yanked back, I think that's going to be a really interesting uh, character adventure to go on. With Ned. I, I, I agree, and I'm more interested to see what, if any, the blowback is from his party in bringing in somebody, but starting to bring in somebody uh, who has a position of authority without their, like, pre-approval. Doc already sort of did it once with Pigeon. Yeah, um, everybody gets one. the water department. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, everybody gets one. Yeah, so this All is right. Ducks yeah. plus one. That could be a Pine Guard rule. Uh, Ned's plus one. The The last thing I think we have to talk about um, is Aubrey. Woof. Uh, yeah. Just all of it. I don't know where we're going with this plot arc. I don't know what's happening here. I don't know what, what Travis or Griffin have in their heads and how this is all happening. Yeah, I... Honestly, don't either, and I wonder how much she damaged Sylvain by touching that crystal. That she, is so. That is honestly, I was getting ready to say this. It might be my biggest issue with it that she touches the crystal and then she's just fucking back in Kepler. Like, there is no way she puts two hands on the crystal, causes some possibly catastrophic change to Sylvain, and then is able to just walk cool. away and get back without anyone stopping her or anyone noticing or or anything. Anything. Just anything. Why is there no consequences to that moment? There's plenty of time left in the podcast. Um, I I honestly don't know. I didn't yeah, understand I mean, how she got back to Kepler. I mean, I'm kind of with you guys on this one. Um, I'd like to list a second uh, grievance. Uh, continue. So they are framing um, the magic 
as sort of a manipulation of the life force of a sentient planet, mm-hmm. which I will buy for certain moments of magic, sure. Um, but I think there are things that Aubrey has performed that don't very easily fall into being able to be explained by calling on the powers of the earth. Okay. To do. So Chris, I, I have some really great references here for you that I think will clear this all up. And they're, well, they actually came out of order. So where I'd probably let you start are the fourth, fifth and sixth stories where there's, you know, I think they call it the force and it's just all over and people can pull from it in different ways. But that's a whole different thing. It's a whole different thing. Also, no one has made fire force. Okay. But see, we have also all watched but, Avatar. So we know I, wait, that lightning well, is just fire bending. Don't, so don't spoil there's this. fort lightning. Don't, don't spoil this. It's on my to watch list. Uh, so, so one thing, one thing on that note is the lady over in Sylvain. What was her name? Janelle. Janelle says, uh, like, you don't have any impact on how it manifests itself. You can only ask and the earth or Sylvain can answer. Right? Mm-hmm. Then how did Aubrey, like, set the building on fire very early on in this whole story arc? The whole thing was that she, her emotions got the better of her, and she was too excited that she rolled a 12 and set the whole thing up in smoke, in flames. Yes, and, and so, for me, that's just not knowing that she was asking for it. Yeah, but um, it's... It's clearly the emotions do have an impact going directly against what Janelle said. Like Janelle explicitly says something to the effect of like, your emotions don't have an impact. It just depends on what. Well, well, but she has also said that the way that Aubrey's magic works is different than any magic she's ever interacted with. But then doesn't that defeat the whole point of, hey, this is how magic works, except I don't really have any idea how your magic works. Like what? What are we doing here? Like that, I think this is I think Calvin Ball. The, it's the out that needs to exist when you're attempting to say that there is a codified way that magic works and apply it to a dice rolling game where you don't know if you're going to do it or not. Like she could be trained to say like, yes, I now know how to channel magic and I am great. And then rolls a two and it still doesn't go great. And so then where are we? Yeah, I don't know. I just, it's, it's, one of those things that, like, I feel like it would be pretty easy to have, like, the emotions of the user of the channeler affect the outcome of the magic. But she almost says explicitly that it it doesn't, which doesn't make sense to me. And it's just one of those things that... And the other thing I was thinking is, is this the way magic is supposed to work in the Monster Hunter game? Uh, or Monster of the Week game. Uh, Monster Hunter is a whole different thing. Um, in the Monster of the Week game, or is this something Griffin just came up with? Again, still haven't read the rules. Right. <laughs> rules. Again, still not gonna. No. Yeah, no, this is fun now at this point. Absolutely not. But that that was one of the things that hung with me was, 
Is this a Griffin McElroy invention or is this a monster of the week mechanic? My guess is that it's a Griffin McElroy invention. Yes, I think um, playtesting would have made it different if it was a in the rules thing. Yeah, so I wonder if like the rules or the world around the game, you know, doesn't like it probably allows for having shitty rules anyway. Like that's just part of the game. That's part of D and D. That's part of. But to invent that this is the way magic works, I don't know. It doesn't. It it felt incongruous with how our experience has shown magic to work. Was that agreement? No, that was, except for the fact that we have an admission from the magic wizard that she doesn't know how magic works for this other character. Then what's the point of these lessons? Because they need to figure it out. And someone who knows something, even if it's a different something, is way better than going and asking Barley McCumberbatch over at the McDonald's how magic works. I mean, is it? Because if you... That would be a fucking fun scene, though. I want to see that play out. (laughs) Where Aubrey rides up to the drive-thru and goes, Hi, I'd like... um a fried chicken sandwich. And also, um, my fire magic's been really off recently. So do you have any thoughts on what? <coughs> uh, what? You want fries? No, I was just sort of wondering, like, do you have any <laughs> advice on how I could better channel? I've just been really feeling like I'm learning my friends. Out. Second window. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I've got a grill. Is, is, that, is that far? Do you? Do you want your burger not not cooked? Less cooked? <laughs> more cooked? Sorry, I don't know uh, what you want here. More cooked, flame, I can do. Sorry, uh, flame broiled is uh, Burger King. <laughs> <laughs> oh, ma- ma'am, this is a bank. <laughs> At the most, I could teach you air magic with these little pneumatic tubes. <laughs> Aubrey builds herself a potato cannon to take it <laughs> with the next bomb <laughs> He fucking brilliant. Takes it to Heathcliff. Enchanted. <laughs> An enchanted potato gun is a genius thing for Heathcliff to enchant. Oh, shit. Uh, at least they know how that works. see Heathcliff again. We'll get him uh, soon. He's fine. He's over there doing his thing. Though that raises a great point of if if Aubrey just burned down Sylvain with flowers or something, can they go back? Or is she persona non grata over there now? We well, don't know. We know the interpreter doesn't like her. Yeah, that was weird and cool and some cool editing that Griffin did. I liked that a lot. Yeah, I thought that was a good bit. Yeah, I'm, I'll be interested. Because, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to be a malicious dislike. I could, I could probably understand, especially a young person who's only ever seen negative interactions with folk from the other world being like, oh yeah, this kind of sucks. So I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. Well, and then Aubrey proceeded to destroy the entire world. Well, I mean, she did 
make a mess. Yeah, a little bit of ask and answered right there. Yeah. Reasoning. But would Aubrey have touched the crystal if she hadn't overheard these girls' thoughts? Yes. Yes. Okay, well, that was easy. (laughs) There is, and I think, I wonder if that's the reason that we didn't get to see uh, the first couple interactions because if Griffin had let Travis roleplay it, there's no way Aubrey doesn't touch the crystal. It was way too high on her mind to not be the first thing she does as soon as she has a free, unsupervised moment in Sylvain. But she's got to get to her. Yeah. And it's, there's the squares full of people and guards and people. Which didn't exist in this moment. Yeah, he said there was an alarm or something, and they all went yeah, away. right. Something was trying to break into the walls, and there was the courtyard was cleared. Boy, I didn't listen great to that part. <laughs> yeah, it was oh. kind of an important moment. <laughs> I don't remember any because of now that, so. also what's attacking the gate? Like that's that's kind of interesting. I'd like to. Um, I think we're getting near to wrap up, but I have one more grievance I'd like to lodge. Do it. Barclay arrives to save Duck in Mama's truck. Yes. When they arrive back at the lodge, yes. Mama is running errands. Right. How'd she get to where the errands are? What did, I it, like, did he say Mama's truck? Yes. Griffin said, I think she's in Mama's truck. I like I like the idea that Barclay and Doc are pulling up to the lodge and Barclay goes, Well, I don't see Mama's truck anywhere. She must not be here. And then they pull in, shut it down, are gonna move. The goat man, and out comes Mama. <laughs> Where you been Where with my truck? Where the fuck is my truck? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> also oh. disappointed we didn't get Barclay and Agent Stern's like Griffin on Griffin role play for him at the door with some just slapstick comedy versions of yeah. I want to go down there. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks everybody so much for listening to We Do That, our Taz fan cast. We are, uh, despite a lot of our <clears throat> concerns... Still very excited to see what happens next in Amnesty. And we want to know what you were looking forward to next in Amnesty. Hit us up on Twitter at WeDoThatPod or uh, email us at WeDoThatPod at gmail.com. I've been reminded that there's an underscore on our Twitter handle. But listen, if y'all are listening, you know what our handle is. And if y'all are new, how'd you get here? Because <laughs> um, I want to know, like, what about episode 29 was like, yup. That one. I bet it's going to be the clever title I come with up with in a couple of days. Uh, we super appreciate y'all's time. We super appreciate the early for th- giving us our intro and outro music. We will have this episode up on Wrong Thursday. We're going to get back on schedule, y'all. Sorry we've been off it. Um, I was sick and been moving, and Jake's been traveling, and Colin's been really busy. But we're going to get back after it on our two-week schedule. Hopefully the McElroys do, too. So until next Wrong Thursday, bye, everybody. Bye.